bit nuts to make the River Valley a national park? This week, we've got a lot of updates because both we and Council are back. We'll give you the latest election hot takes, plus updates on the Percent for Art program, Hollywood Gardens, and everything else we managed to cram in. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 143, where I am back on the regular, ready to cover, and I didn't receive any angry listeners emailing in to say, you tricked me, Troy, you tricked me with your (laughs) radio. I think we did okay. We pulled the wool over everyone's eyes. In the last episode, we pulled the wool over people's eyes talking about survey questions. Is there an update on the survey? How many candidates have responded? Yeah, we're less than a week uh, since we sent it out. So it ended up going out later to candidates than we anticipated, but still before the episode aired. Um, But we've already got 11 fully completed survey responses and seven that are in progress, which is a really good start, I think, for just the first week. So candidates out there listening, if you're running for mayor or for city councillor, uh, please go fill out the survey. If you haven't got a link from us or you're missing that email, get in touch and I'll make sure we send you the link right away. We've got to address the big question on everyone's minds. Is one of the 11 Mike Nickel? Not yet. <laughs> Alas. I'm not going to say no. I'm going to say not yet. It's good. You don't want to burn those bridges like you would in the rapid fire segment. There was a wild elephant rampage near the university this week as, finally bowing to pressure from advocates, the Valley Zoo caved and moved Lucy to sanctuary. Unfortunately, no one told zoo staff that the White Avenue Alternative Clothing Store closed down permanently in 2019. After being dropped off on Gateway Boulevard near White Avenue, the newly free elephant got absolutely smashed at Situation Brewery before stumbling through club after club. City staff were able to track her down after seeing several Instagram stories from Midway posted by patrons excited that they brought back the ranch bull. Lucy has now been safely collected and returned to the Valley Zoo, where she's nursing an absolutely killer hangover, and zoo staff are reminding everyone in Edmonton that a female elephant is actually called a cow. A notable mansion has been donated to Concordia University in the same week that the University of Alberta has announced their plans to demolish the notable mansion that was donated to them. While optically, many are saying the move doesn't look great for the U of A, President Bill Flanagan was a bit perplexed by the criticism, saying, quote, We're in a very obvious budget crisis, and hard choices had to be made. It was either smashing this alumnus-donated building or cutting executive salaries. So we made the only obvious and palatable choice. An Edmontonian is raising the alarm because she says the government is slamming on the brakes in the fight against climate change. The Belgravia resident said she was concerned about houseless people during the heat wave, so she turned her air conditioning to max and left the doors to her house open to help cool things down. Now, with a several thousand dollar electricity bill from the wholly city-owned EPCOR, she's questioning why the city is asking citizens to take action against climate change if they're just going to punish them for doing their part. For now, she says she's just going to close her doors when she runs her AC until Don Iveson smartens up. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. And with Pod Power, our sponsors are making it possible for us to amplify the voices of Albertans and Alberta podcasters. This episode, the Edmonton Community Foundation is helping us give a Pod Power shout out to High Level Hip Hop from CJSR. It's a deep dive into Edmonton's hip hop scene and the artists helping shape it. The show takes a unique approach to introducing listeners to the OGs. I like that it phonetically told me how to say oh geez you know did a boomer write this ad copy about hip-hop nevertheless anyway continuing the ad copy it introduces listeners to the ogs and young bloods of edmonton's hip-hop scene 
The show is aimed at those who love local music but might not have had a chance to fall in love with the city's surprisingly diverse hip-hop scene. Each episode features an interview with a local artist, plus a fresh track they recorded right at CJSR. There are two episodes out right now, and you can, of course, check out more throughout the season. High Level Hip Hop is produced by CGSR, Edmonton's campus and community radio station. You can download it wherever you find podcasts and at highlevelhiphop.transistor.fm. Mac, I don't know, you are like 90 or whatever. So when you graduated <laughs> high school back in the 60s, yeah, I'm sure you had like a yearbook and people had ambitions for certain people. You you knew who in your class was going to be successful and had big aspirations, right? Like you remember doing that. Oh yeah. You write in the back, like that person's going to be a millionaire. That person's going nowhere. That person's going to be an actor. Yeah. I remember that. Why? Yeah. Well, so I had big hopes for Barry Morishita, the mayor of Brooks and big wig at the AUMA. We talked to him on this podcast. I always thought that's a, that's a political rising star. And he nothing his entire career this week. <laughs> Barry Morishita announced that he would resign uh, from his position as the president of the Alberta Urban Municipalities Association. And then a few days later, he told his council colleagues in the city of Brooks that he won't run again to be mayor there because he's decided to run for the leadership of the Alberta party. And just to remind our listeners, if you are leader of nothing, it isn't really a position that is enviable, Um, which coincidentally is what the Alberta party is. It is a nothing party with no seats. (laughs) <laughs> not, not gonna get a response out of you for that one so so you you don't see this as a uh, a career enhancing move for morishita no consider the last leader of the alberta party is career finished stephen mandel inexplicably did it and then managed to even further obliterate his political career uh so i would say the alberta party is where aspirations go to die that's maybe a fair <laughs> assessment i would say morishita has been a pretty effective president of AUMA. He's been quite vocal about a number of things in opposition to uh, the UCP government. So I suppose it's a loss for the AUMA and I guess a potential win for the Alberta party. But as you say, uh, a win of what maybe? I think the biggest winner here is definitely the Alberta NDP because Brooks is not not an urban riding. So, you know, if he's running for leadership of the Alberta party, he's elected leader, he runs as an Alberta party, that's going to chunk off a lot of right center votes and I think wild rose all over the UCP a little bit. So, mm. you know, uh, I, th- I think that might be a potential outcome of here. Um, maybe the Alberta party will get one seat if Barry Morishita has enough pull, but it's, it's one of the inexplicable announcements this week, but it wasn't the only one. Um, I remember when I got wind of this, sending you a Slack message with a couple question marks and then Dave over at Dave Berta had the same question I had. Same Ben Henderson? Mm. It was announced this week that Ben Henderson was the nominated candidate for Edmonton Millwoods running for the federal Liberal Party. Yeah, claimed, if I'm not mistaken, as the Liberal candidate. This is the same councillor, Ben Henderson, who has served in Ward 8 for quite a while and came on our show and said that he was done and that he needed a rest, and that his heart wasn't in it anymore. I did actually run into him downtown a few days ago, and I said, Hi, Ben. 
what's the deal? <laughs> uh, uh, and he's like, I thought I was done. I really thought I was done. But he told the media and uh, and mentioned it when I talked to him as well, that the opportunity here just seemed too good to pass up. So he will be the Liberal Party candidate, as you say, for Edmonton Mill Woods in the federal election, which is coming up on September 20th. Yes. Since we last recorded and low since the last episode aired, uh, there has been a writ drop and I really appreciate federal election periods. You know, it's a month. I feel like we've been talking about the mayor and cancellor elections for literal years, uh, even if it's only been maybe six, eight months. Mm -hmm. But this federal election, it's nice and breezy. It's going to suck a lot of wind out of the municipal election. But you know, it's going to be quick. It's going to be over by September. Yeah, I will say the the coverage of this as a snap election feels a little misleading because it's not like it was a snap decision. People have been talking about the prospect of this election for longer than the month-long campaign we're about to be in. So it wasn't a huge shock that Trudeau went and requested to have the election take place. But anyway, here we are. Nomination day, the close of nominations, I should say, in Edmonton and, and all municipal elections in Alberta is September 20th, the same day that people will be voting for their federal candidates. I do wonder about Ben's electability in Edmonton Millwoods. Federal politics is a little bit out of my wheelhouse. But if we're like... You know, using some transitive properties right here, and we did not think Ben Henderson was a favorite to run for mayor in Edmonton, mm -hmm. and we mm -hmm. thought Amarjeet Sohi could be a very successful mayoral candidate, then it stands to reason that Amarjeet Sohi is a little bit more electable than Ben Henderson, if we're treating all apples as apples. In that case, Amarjeet Sohi lost in the last election in yes. Millwoods, and Amarjeet Sohi lives in the ward and has represented that ward for quite a while. Ben Henderson is a downtown White Avenue night. I don't know if his council credentials will translate as strongly in Edmonton Mill Woods. I really don't think of Mill Woods when I think of Councillor Henderson. That is not the part of the city that comes to mind at all. He certainly has name recognition. He's been on council for quite a while. Lots of people know who he is, um, but he touted his work securing the Valley Line LRT, the 50th Street widening and rail grade separation, flood mitigation. These are some of the things he said he did for the riding uh, during his time on council. And even just that little list, I'm not sure those are the things that would come to mind immediately when I think about Ben Henderson either. I will say a couple more notes about the federal election, though. The long-touted rumor that Don Iveson was going to go for the federal liberals in either Edmonton Center or Edmonton Strathcona, both of those writings now have a nominated liberal candidate. So I think right. we can safely call that rumor squashed. Yes. One interesting thing to note is that Ben Henderson actually performed a little bit differently than most of his colleagues in the past in that when he decided he was going to run in the uh, Edmonton Woods federal race, he took an unpaid leave of absence from his city council seat to do it which is not the norm on council. And it is not required, um, but he said it was the right thing to do to avoid a conflict of interest. Council voted unanimously to approve his request for the unpaid leave. And uh, Post Media reported that uh, when he walked out of the chambers, his colleagues and city staff were applauding him. Which um, isn't allowed in council chambers. Um, applause? Not okay. <laughs> I think uh, a suspension of the rules in this case is probably okay. If Henderson wins his seat in the federal election, the Ward 8 councillor spot, well, it doesn't exist in Ward 8 anymore, his council seat will remain vacant until the election because we're close enough to the election that 
we don't have to do any nonsense like a by-election, thankfully. One thing that uh, his seat being vacated for the time being means is that he doesn't have to deal with certain things. And one of those things is the Percent for Art program, which we are continuing to follow. And there were updates this week. Yeah, last week, actually, committee looked at this proposal and basically made the recommendation that it go forward and council officially approved an update to the Percent for Art program this week. They approved establishing a public art reserve, changing the program's name to the public art to enhance Edmonton's public realm policy, which is quite a mouthful, quite a bit longer. The big change here, though, in this Percent for Art revamp is that no longer will the art be attached to the projects. So what that means is we could build a project on the south side and put the art downtown. I remember when the Percent for Art program was approved or when it was discussed. I don't materially. know how old you were when it was approved. Yeah, right? I was going to say, because approved was a long time like ago. 1992 or something like that. Yeah. I remember when the revised public art program was being discussed again and being solidified in its form yeah. just before this one. And, you know, a big discussion around location was this is a safeguard. You know, if we put it next to infrastructure projects, we don't put art only in rich people's spots and yep. then deprive certain people. And like laudable goal. It's a way to make art available throughout the city, right? It's an enforced way to make sure that every part of the city, because we build bridges and roads and all things in, in all parts of the cities, that they all have public art. In principle, I'm 100% behind it. It sounds like a good idea. It sounds like a great motivation, perfect way of thinking about it. And I think we can say after having this policy for about a decade that it is an unquestionable failure. Putting it at the location of the infrastructure project has led to the Talus Dome, which is just endlessly mocked. And you and I both know that it's a phenomenal, we ask all our guests about this. It's a we phenomenal do. piece of art. And you put that stuff in the middle of Churchill Square and suddenly we're like the new Chicago. Like people are gathering all around to look at those silver balls. It's time to eat our lumps, except that, you know, we had the best of ideals and it didn't quite work. And I think this is probably an improvement to the public art program. I'm not so sure that it is an improvement. I guess I will reserve judgment until I see how this plays out for a little bit. But my gut reaction to this is that it's not actually an improvement. David Turnbull, the director of public art for the Arts Council, uh, basically said, quote, we can look at the city as if it is a giant art gallery and every section of the city is a room within the gallery that can be programmed. And that sounds good, right? It sounds like, okay, now because we don't have to build it next to the bridge, we can go and find a room that doesn't have as much art and we can go program it. But I actually really like that the Talus Dome is where it is. And I love that it creates the kind of conversation that it has ever since it first was put into place. Like people still talk about it. We still ask guests about it all the time. And you can get to it. And lots of people do. It just happens to be next to a freeway. I don't think there's such a bad thing. I would be disappointed if what this leads to is all of the public art being provisioned within just the center of the city rather than, you know, being accessible to people everywhere you travel throughout the city. Your point is well taken. And the Talus Dome isn't really the best example of badly placed art because, you know, it is on a fairly well-trafficked bike route. It's right by Fort Edmonton Park. Like, yeah. you know, there yeah. are ways to get to it and explore it. I think like the Kathleen Andrews Transit Garage with the, I think it's called the 48 Degrees North art yeah. piece. That one's a really badly located piece because like even from the roadway, it's a little tough to see just because of how angles are set up. I think there is merit to having art that is discoverable and explorable, but I also think that we could put much cheaper pieces of art in terms of like expense. We don't need to spend, you know, half a million dollars 
on an art for people to discover on trails. We can still program those spaces, but maybe we can program them a little bit more economically and put it where it has the most impact. That makes sense, yeah. The other positive change they made here is to include a provision to call for more diverse artists. We interviewed David Turnbull and he, he said that the goal would be to feature more work from indigenous artists as well as female identifying artists, which I think sounds like a great improvement. Um, the biggest problem though with this program remains that it's not clear who decides what the 1% is. Uh, so we're gonna put all this money into a public art reserve, but as far as I know, it's still up to bureaucrats to decide how much of a project qualifies and uh, and how much that percent actually is. And we know that right now, we're not actually close to spending 1% of all of the projects that we've uh, built art for. The next steps here are to develop a procedure and establish the public art reserve and develop terms of reference for this. So there's a small chance that there could be some greater clarity around how much of the budget and, and all of that, but I wouldn't hold your breath. If you're Regency Developments, you also shouldn't be holding your breath on an approval this week because Edmonton City Council quashed their bait and switch proposal for Holyrood Gardens. What happened here? Because I wasn't following this super closely. Well, this came up at public hearing. So Hollywood Gardens has been a contentious project in the past. In 2018, council approved a development permit for 1,200 units. There's a mix of two and three bedroom units in there. It's next to a future LRT line. So it's a great location for density. And there was a lot of engagement with the community back and forth and trying to make sure that this was a project that would work for the community as well as for the developer. Everything you said up to there, I'm like, yeah, exactly. I remember this back in 2018. I remember the long, arduous public process where we finally got to an agreement after a lot of back and forth with the community. And I assumed that would be the end of it. And apparently not so. Oh, you should know developers in Edmonton better than that, Troy. Uh, <laughs> Regency has come back with a proposal to increase it from 1,200 units to 1,450. So another 250 units, which they argue is aligned with the city plan and the goals of developing more densely populated neighborhoods, transit-oriented development. But in the end, council voted five to five at the public hearing, which means it failed. And it was five to five because Councillor Nickel, Councillor Hamilton were absent. And as we've already mentioned, Councillor Henderson is now on his official leave of absence. So who did that leave the five voting yes to approve this developer's request for more density? Uh, I should say also that administration supported the request. So they thought it was a good idea to increase the density. In the end, it was Esslinger, Katerina, Banga, Zadik, and Cartmel that voted to move forward with the increase in density. Knack, Paquette, McKean, Walters, and Iveson voted against. That's not a list of five names that you typically associate with requesting increased density in the city core. Zadok, Banga, Katarina. No, not really. <laughs> it, is a, it is a bit shocking. That I guess it aligns with being developer-friendly and wanting to squash red tape, but it's not a good look for you know developers who are regularly criticized for doing the bait and switch thing to not only do that, but then come out to the media with such anger about it. Honestly, I'm pretty impressed with our council this week, though only narrowly because 5-5 five, five with three people absent. You know, if Nickel shows up to his job, does this get approved? Probably. Right. right. That you know, makes me a little bit nervous, but I'm appreciative. This sends a message that developers don't run carte blanche over the city and, you know, you can't just 
say city plan three times fast and get anything approved uh, still needs to fulfill some certain neighborhood criteria. Yeah, I mean, I agree with Raj Dana from Regency Developments, who says that this is aligned with the goals of developing more density. But I'm also glad that council voted against it or that it that it failed because had it gone ahead, it's just yet another example of how public engagement and community consultation is meaningless. If this goes forward, then all of the effort that that community put in over those number of years to get to the original agreement would have been entirely meaningless. And, and I think it would be a huge slap in the face to the community if, if, uh, if council had approved it. While we're talking about running roughshod all over the city with no regard for process or really good thought, I don't know if I'm editorializing there a little bit, <laughs> there was a banner that appeared on City Hall while I was gone, and I expected this to come up in our episode notes, um, you know, as the Nathan Fillion Civilian Pavilion or local radio stupid dumb thing gets gnawed from the city, you know, some coverage on that regard. Yeah. But you put it in the notes as City Hall should not be for sale. What, what's going on with that commentary here? Right. So Lauren Hunter, who works for Sonic 1029, has been for years now, I think, pushing this idea of a Nathan Fillion civilian pavilion. I love it. Right? <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, just I love, love it. everything about it, it. It rhymes. It sounds great. He's an Edmonton hero. He, lots of people know who he is. That would be a really fun thing. I'm not opposed at all to the Nathan Fillion Civilian Pavilion. There's a little bit of a problem in that it rhymes, it sounds great is the bar you need to clear to get the stamp of approval from <laughs> speaking municipally. But sure, we're on board. Oh, Go ahead. Oh, I'm, I'm not finished. <laughs> yeah, so what happened over the, the long weekend in August is that the city of Edmonton said challenge accepted and put a big Nathan Fillion Civilian Pavilion banner on the front of City Hall. And they said in a tweet... For this weekend, we've renamed our city hall Nathan Fillion Civilian Pavilion. Let me see how many times we can say it. To mark the premiere of The Suicide Squad, which is his new movie. And I saw that and I thought, this is horrible. Did we get money from Warner Brothers? Should we be selling the property of our city hall, our public facility, the main place where our local government meets and things happen to corporations? And why did the city now only decide that this was a fun thing to bandwagon to jump onto when there's a Hollywood studio coming up with some pretty creative marketing? I mean, kudos to the folks at Warner Brothers because the video they made is a great way to market to Edmontonians. But from the city's point of view, this is stupid. So that's why I put that in the show notes. I think it, there exists the possibility that the city, in fact, did not get paid for this. And it's sort of like, you know, the Edmonton global tourism aspect of like, oh, maybe we can cross promote and... Because we're leaning into it, we might get some more attention outside of our borders. Perhaps that was a thought running through the city's head. If it is so, still dumb. Still dumb. On the same page with you there. Yeah. I mean, there's been banners on City Hall before, and those are questionable to me as well. But at least they're usually things that we have already put public funding into, right? When we host the World Championships in athletics or we host some of these big events, you know, it's a little more questionable when we get the Oilers or the Eskimos or somebody like that doing something and they have banners on City Hall. But I, I mean, I guess you could argue we put a lot of money into those guys too. But a Hollywood film studio, they certainly do not need our help. And if they're going to get do something with our City Hall, we should at least be getting really, really richly compensated for it. But I don't think we should do that at all. As much as your idealistic explanation about public services not being for sale and all that resonates, I don't think that's the biggest problem for me with this. 
I think the biggest problem for me is that I like the idea of a Nathan Fillion <laughs> civilian pavilion uh-huh. because it is so dumb. And I like it when people, cities especially, large bureaucratic organizations, it's the funniest where they do this, when they commit hard to some dumb thing. I think to like the city of Vulcan or town of Vulcan in Alberta. You know, they're just called Vulcan and they could say, oh, ha ha, Star Trek. But no, they commit. They build a guest visitor center that's in the form of a starship. They really commit to mm-hmm. the Star Trek gimmick because they can and because it's dumb. Nathan Fillion Civilian Pavilion is exactly like that. It is a dumb thing that if we just built a gazebo somewhere and permanently named it that, that would get us a lot of media attention Right. around the world because it is so dumb what this did to just put up a quickly printed banner on city hall for a couple of hours over a weekend it really cheapened the idea it made it not so fun dumb and more just like oh ha ha here's a quick joke but we're not committing to this joke we're making sure we have an out on this joke <laughs> and i think especially and i saw lauren hunter go all over the media and you know do the mandatory happiness with this. Yeah. But she worked hard at this for a couple years and Nathan Fillion wasn't giving her the time of day until it landed on the Suicide Squad press junket. Yeah. So this is a cynical capitalistic play that instead just forces us all to participate in this capitalist charade instead of really wasting our money on dumb things we don't need. That's what I want. That's what I was stolen from when we did this. I I definitely see your point, and I can get behind that 100%. I think you're right that the city, in their mind, probably thought they were helping, and in effect, they've cheapened the whole thing. It's not going to land the same way if we went and did the gazebo now. Yeah. And it's Um, not likely to happen anyway, but... Other things unlikely to happen, John D. passing a successful motion. The friend of the podcast was in the news this week because he was standing up for his constituents, doing things that city council said, no, John D., sit down, please. And two of the motions uh, he put forward this week were defeated, four to eight. Yeah, one of them was a service package request for a dial-a-bus service. He wants this to operate in areas that are not currently included in the on-demand pilot area uh that was defeated four to eight and then the other one was a report just a report which is a bit strange but anyway asking for options to increase organics collection and to allow residents with a standard 120 liter green bin to opt into a larger one so if you have a lot of organic waste that would be a thing Um, and then also to provide excess yard waste collections in the spring summer fall next year that one was a bit more surprising to me that it failed but it did with the yard waste motion, I think in a vacuum, something like this could have succeeded. But I do recall at many times during this waste pilot and when council was discussing us, there were questions about, well, what about yard waste? What about people with extra yard waste? And they were asked yeah. and answered and council decided not to fund this. So this honestly feels a lot like revisiting already Got it. past business. Even though it's a report, like we've already decided we don't we don't need to do that. Yeah, exactly. And uh, another thing we don't need to do is talk about John D from Ward 3, friend of the podcast, anymore. Oh, no. I just realized Ward 3 isn't going to exist in a couple months. No, it if won't. If he wins the election, what are we going to call him? We can't just call him <laughs> John D, friend of the podcast. He's John D from Ward 3, friend of the podcast. Oh. Oh, this is this is an existential trauma. This is a bigger problem than coming up with a new pun every week for the title. We're going to move on from this, but... We're going to table this and we're going to have to really brainstorm some uh, contingency plans. 
contingency plans for the election, of course. And there was some election stuff that came up this week. And no, not just Ben Henderson running for the liberals and Barry Morishita throwing away his career. No, there was some local election news. And I think the biggest item that came up was a discussion around whether or not the River Valley should be a national park, which seemed to draw a lot of ire from everyone. Yeah, I think this is a proposal from Amarjeet Sohi. He said that he would work to get our River Valley designated as a national park, which would allow us to access federal funding to maintain it. Michael Oshry was one of the most vocal critics of this idea and said that that would be a terrible thing for Edmontonians. I will admit, Troy, I've not read a whole great deal about this yet and don't have a strong opinion other than if we can get money from the federal government to support our park, that sounds like a good thing. But a national park, doesn't that mean we'd need to charge for admission or seed control or or any of the things that would be bad about this? Two things. Uh, one, and it's regrettable that Amarji Sohi's initial tweet didn't include this word. He wanted to designate it a national urban park, which is a different thing than a national park. Uh, national parks we all know and love, things like Banff, Elk Island, have admission Parks Canada Management, you have Wildlife Corridor, all the stuff that you think about with a national park. The National Urban Park Plan is a little bit different. It's, if you consider something like the Yellowhead or the Trans-Canada Railway or any of these sort of like nationalist projects, it's the federal government saying we want Canadians all across the country to have access to these things. And the federal government has realized, you know, a lot of our people live in urban areas. They don't have ready access to nature and green spaces. Let's make sure that people in our cities have coast-to-coast access to green space, access to parks in the National Urban Park Program. So what this would do is it's basically, in a nutshell, not to oversell it, free money for cities to make parks. It is a good plan uh, to do this. But we already have a park. We are the, the River Valley is already there. I don't, I don't see how this is like the federal government is not making the park exist. Sure, of course. But we do have quite an expense with maintaining the River Valley. We have a trail system in the River Valley. We have conservation efforts. We have cleanup efforts. We have mitigation based on, you know, roadways and outflow and erosion from development. All these sorts of things. There is a maintenance cost to preserve our River Valley and make it pristine. And also to do things like touch the water promenade to increase access. All of these things take money. I think the funicular, as a great example, that was... 20 some million dollars to increase access to the river valley and mostly federal funding right mostly federal funding which this would be too the national urban park plan would give us access to a lot of federal funds to do basically the things we already want to do to the river valley so if this is such a great idea why haven't we done it in the past well we've already been pursuing doing this and that's the big question mark For me, this is something that both administration and council has been pursuing for several years. And we saw Aaron Paquette step up and basically say that, which is why it was such a weird question mark for me when Oshry opposed this. And then Councillor Michael Walters stepped up and carried water for Michael Oshry saying, you know, basically misinformation about the National Urban Park Plan. You know, all the stuff you said at the top, you know, about charging admission and loss of control. Those aren't things that are part of the National Urban Park Plan. And this is something that council has been party to over the past several years and has been debating and pursuing already. Including Walters. Including Walters. So either Walters is a bad counselor or he's Mike Nichols style peddling misinformation. But it's one of those two things. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, so you like the plan, it sounds like, and would like to see it go ahead. I'm okay if it doesn't. I think it would be a shame if it doesn't, but it is not a plan that necessitates vitriolic opposition. It's if you don't want to do it because, you know, you want to really heavily develop Rossdale or like there's a specific area of the River Valley you want to bulldoze for a freeway. Sure, those are all perspectives you can have and mm-hmm. there's a reason to oppose this plan. But, you know, if you're saying, I like the River Valley, I want to increase access and I want to make this a great place for Edmontonians to hang out. I don't see any reason to oppose this plan other than to score political points. And I want to do it with federal money, which sounds like a good thing. Okay, well, the other election thing we should mention just very quickly is that there will not be mayoral or candidate forums organized by the city of Edmonton, at least. Edmonton Elections has said they will not be doing any forums this year because it's too expensive and not enough people attend. I have two thoughts on this. One, I was a candidate in the election and hands down the least valuable forums were the official city organized ones. So great. Not a big loss then? (laughs) No one is losing here because candidates didn't want to show up because the forums were trash. Real people didn't want to show up because the forums were trash. The, The only people that derived value from these forums were old people who didn't know what was going on or what a computer was. And the quote unquote crazies who, you know, You've seen them in Parks and Rec, the people that show up to public forums and ask the questions that don't deserve to be asked, but because you're trapped at a forum, the candidates have to answer. (laughs) That was the city of Edmonton public forums. And now there's like other public forums that are organized by community leagues. Yeah, they often have journalists vetting questions like they're usually pretty valuable forums. The city ones were not, which I'm happy that we're ending them just because they didn't have a lot of value. But then I saw the cost of them. Yeah. The city has said that it takes about a quarter of a million dollars to organize all these forums. They just rent out a school auditorium and set up mics for an hour. How does this cost $250,000? That was my question, too. Like, okay, fine, we're not doing forums. How did we waste so much money on these trash, as you say, forums in the past? Like, I've started going through the numbers in my head. Even if you rented out the convention center and you had coffee for everybody and you had like expensive AV equipment and you had all of that, like how do you get anywhere close to a quarter of a million dollars? I don't get it. And this year, this year would have been the perfect opportunity to just do an online forum and to not actually have a physical space. Like, do you think that would have had any value? Um, no, honestly, candidates are showing up to these online zoom forums Mm -hmm. I don't begrudge a single candidate who says, I'm going to go knock doors peace because I'm not going to tune in to an online forum because I don't care. And like I follow the election. In-person forums have a little more gusto. If I want to see a candidate talk into a computer, I'll just go to their website and look at their stump speech. There's a playoff of other people and there's a factor of like having the moderator in the room so you can bounce questions off each other and you know hold candidates to answers that really is just lost on zoom forums where it's just question answer question answer yeah i watched part of the one the other day that took place with the mayoral candidates and excruciating (laughs) people (laughs) dropping connections not being able to hear like just so many other variables when it's all online so maybe it's a good thing overall If you want to listen to something on the internet that's not bad, however, boy, does the Edmonton Community Foundation have the podcast for you. We've talked about it before. You know it. You love it. It's the Well Endowed Podcast. And this week, let's have them tell you what it's all about. Hello, I'm Elizabeth Bonkink. 
I'm Andrew Paul. And we're the hosts of the Well Endowed Podcast. The Well Endowed Podcast is produced by Edmonton Community Foundation, or ECF as we call it. ECF provides grants to charities through the endowment funds we create and manage with our donors. Hence the title of our show, The Well Endowed Podcast. Every month, we bring you a collection of stories and interviews with fascinating guests who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. Through these stories, we look at the space where endowments intersect with your communities. So if you're interested in the people and issues impacting your community, check out thewellendowedpodcast.com. We did it, Mac. We reached the end of the episode. Um, I'm back from vacation. We can cover all the news. How was your two weeks off of not having to record a podcast with me every week? It was very sad. I enjoy this time (laughs) with you, Troy, every week. I was fishing for that. (laughs) And I look forward to it every week right through to the election and beyond. Dear listener, you should look forward to just the same. Until next week, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.